I've been telling people that I knew something was wrong when I was done with my sermon on Thursday. Um, in other words, I knew that I would be up rewriting it again, probably. And sure enough, there I was about Friday at 11 o'clock in the evening, arguing with God and saying, you could reveal this tomorrow. That'd be fine. And no, I got up and I wrote a sermon. And then I came in here yesterday and I practiced both sermons. <laughs> and so, like I told Christy a few moments ago, well, right now I'm preaching in Ruth. That could change. <laughs> but I, I think I'm going to preach in Ruth. <laughs> and I might leave my sermon for next week or maybe that sermon will never hit your ears. So, so if you turn to Ruth 4, this second Sunday of Advent, we will be finishing our series in Ruth. Um, we're already in the descending action of the story of Ruth. Things are already being wrapped up. However, we find that this entire book isn't just about two people in ancient Bethlehem with a good moral, and that's it. We, we find that since it's a small, tiny town and just a small story about widows being redeemed, it has eternal implications, which should really speak to us in a small, tiny place called Woodland. And if you've been following our study guides, I mentioned this, a common way of storytelling for Hebrews does not make sense to us. We're logical people, usually, I think. And we have a storytelling that goes beginning, middle, end. And Hebrews love to tell stories beginning, middle, beginning. Uh, this is the story of the Bible. God creates a world beginning People mess up and bring sin into the world. That's the middle. Jesus redeems it, and the world is recreated. That's another beginning. And so it is with the book of Ruth. We're coming to the end of the book of Ruth, but we're really coming to the beginning of Jesus, which is perfect for our Advent season. And all the trigger words are there. We have a baby. We have genealogy. We have God opening up the womb. It's all there. So stand with me one last time in honor of reading the Lord's Word together, please. And let's finish this great book this morning, I hope. <laughs> Ruth 4, beginning with verse 13, says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who was more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we gave you uh, money earlier this morning, and I'm giving you my talent this morning, and I pray that you would work miracles from what I've brought to the table so that you might be glorified, you might be exalted, that you might save hearts today, 
redeemed souls today, that you would make much of your son Jesus, and that your word would not just be implanted on our hearts, but that instead we would go out and implant it on other hearts. Father, we would like to go tell it on the mountain. (laughs) So we pray that you would show up today in a way that we never expected. I give everything I can to you, and I leave it at the table asking, now get me out of the way and say everything that you desire, and give us clean hearts to receive your word. We know that we're sinners, and we bring those sins to you right now, in saying we accept your grace through Jesus. Speak to us, make us more like him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I ask you to be seated. I've been saying it a lot this morning, the God you serve and love and believe in, if you serve and love Jesus, is a giving God. I think you will see that clearly today. It's interesting, in the book of Ruth, we saw one family leave the nation of Israel. Israel was in famine which is why Elimelech and his wife Naomi left. And we might wonder, is that famine judgment from God? I took you to a few passages and said, yeah, it could have been. But Ruth doesn't say. So was Elimelech's family leaving, trying to get out under from judgment? And then while they're supposedly, or maybe they're doing better materially in Moab, a place they should not be because they're Israelites, Elimelech and his two sons then die. We don't know why. We ask, did God do that? Did he hurt them? Is that judgment? But the first action of God recorded by the author in the book of Ruth comes in Ruth 1.6, where it says, Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. No speculation, the first recorded action, undoubtedly of God, in the book of Ruth, is that the Lord had visited his people, Israel, and given them food. God is a giver. The author isn't clear if God gave them the famine, but he is clear that God gave them the food. Even so, Naomi returns, still an obvious and an understandable sadness from the loss of her family members, saying things like, I went away full and came back empty. The Lord has been bitter with me and brought calamity upon me. Now that's how Naomi sees it. But that's not anything the author has verified for us. Well, God shows up actively and decisively for the second and the last time in the book of Ruth. And we see here in Ruth 4.13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Ruth had maybe ten years of barrenness in Moab with her first husband, Malan. We don't know why. But with Boaz, God is a giver. God gives Ruth conception and she bore a son. First child we know in the lineage from Elimelech that will continue onward thanks to God through Boaz and Ruth. The Lord gave Ruth conception. We know Boaz and Ruth conceived together, but the author states that this is a decisive action from the Lord. 
over and over in the scriptures from Sarah to Rebecca to Leah to Rachel to Hannah. And then in the New Testament, thinking about our Advent season to Elizabeth to Mary. It is God who gives conception. The Bible makes clear that God is the author and the creator of all life, including every single individual human being today. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17 that for the people, the Lord has, quote, determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. David declares in the Psalms, for you knitted my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The point being is that for God, the creation of a child is never an oops. It's never a tragedy. Even if babies are made in horrible tragedies, I'm not denying that, our great Redeemer is also a giver and a creator and is involved in a special work of creation for each and every child. This is a blessing. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Heritage. Every child is given from God to man. When God first showed up and gave to his people Israel... Naomi, who had lost her family outside of the people of God in Moab, had nothing good to say to the woman, to the women when she arrived back in Bethlehem. But now that God has given to Boaz and Ruth, and by extension, Naomi, listen to what the women say to Naomi here. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The first recorded conversation between Naomi and the women was Naomi's thoughts about God's feelings towards her. But when God revealed himself, namely when he opened Ruth's womb, the women correct Naomi. They say, no, God is not embittered against you. God has not ruined you. He's redeemed you. He's brought you back empty. He's given you a re- He's not brought you back empty. He's given you a restorer of life. He's not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. What's interesting though is who the women are directly referring to. Throughout the book, Boaz in the original language has been called a kinsman Redeemer. But we know that the women aren't referring to Boaz because they say that this Redeemer and Restorer of Life has been born through Ruth, the loyal daughter-in-law who loves Naomi and is more to her than seven number of completions. So she's saying that Ruth is better than a loyal, perfect son. But the women recognize redemption in Obed. In fact, we read on Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. 
He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed literally means servant. We know another son born in Bethlehem who is a servant. Obed is the grandfather of David, the epitome of servant leadership. To unpack what the women are prophetically doing, that is calling Obed a redeemer, when we know Boaz was a redeemer, the author reveals that Obed is the grandfather of David, and David's ultimately going to lead to Jesus, we realize this, that the whole line is a familial line of redemption. So we might say, of course Jesus is coming along in this family line. It's full of redemption. We think about what we studied last week, how Israel, the man himself, his son Judah, played the part of Boaz in a much less decent manner. (laughs) Nevertheless, he redeemed his foreign daughter-in-law by providing Perez. Just as Boaz redeemed the foreigner Ruth and provides Obed a servant. The author, though, takes us back to Perez, that son of Judah, and Tamar, and he presents the genealogy to close his book. He writes, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I want to focus on two names in this genealogy. The first name in verse 20, Salmon. I looked it up. I know it looks like Salmon. But it's pronounced Salmon. So... And Salmon requires us to go to Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible and are following along in that, I invite you to turn there yourself. But as you turn there, let me give you some quick backstory of this first gospel account in the New Testament by the pen of one of Jesus' disciples, a tax collector named Levi Matthew. Some speculate he took the name Matthew after conversion. We don't know. We do know that Matthew is writing with the specific desire to persuade Jewish readers that Jesus is the long-anticipated Messiah. And he proves it in a myriad of ways, but he opens his account with a genealogy which is of utmost importance if he is to prove that Jesus is Abraham's promised seed, who will be a blessing to the nations, plural. We see over and over again in Genesis 12, 17, 18, 22, And Paul assures us in Galatians 3 that from the beginning, the prophesied seed has been Jesus. He has always been a blessing, not just to Israel, but all nations. And so Matthew opens up his book with what Jews were going to be most interested in, if Jesus fits the bill family-wise. And so Matthew starts with a genealogy in Matthew 1, 1 through 5. We read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew opens up with two of the most important names of renown for Jesus, David and Abraham. If you're trying to prove the Messiah, these are important names. Like I said last week, genealogies were a bit like resumes. (laughs) So when I put in for this church, and perhaps I listed at the top of my job list, youth pastor, Nazarene Church, and then say I left out that I worked a day at the Mexican restaurant, or I left out that I was a freight person at Cloninger's, am I trying to be deceitful? No, I'm just listing what's most relevant to the ministerial job here. 
after listing what's most relevant to Jesus being the Messiah, Matthew goes back to Abraham to give a more specific genealogy. We read, picking up in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. We talked about her last week. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz. There's the kinsman, redeemer, and Ruth. Well, look at this. Boaz's dad, Salmon, and mother was by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. What I love about this congregation is that many of you love digging into scriptures, and I'm glad. And I've had some of you come up to me after sermons and say, hey, have you thought about this verse, or that story, or this point? And recently, one of you told me that Boaz was the son of Rahab. And I had either forgotten or perhaps never saw it. And if Boaz was the son of another foreign woman named Rahab, he has a little bit of background in foreign women in his family. <laughs> Not just Rahab, but also Tamar. These were both Canaanite women. So would that have made it a little bit more easier for Boaz to say, well, of course I can accept Ruth the Moabite. Two of my ancestral mothers are also foreigners. Rahab, Joshua chapters 2 and 6, tell us that she was a Canaanite prostitute. Upon seeing Israel invade Canaan, and she said, I heard what your God can do. <laughs> he took Israel out of Egypt, which is no small thing. Egypt was the superpower of the time. So when Israelites are spying out Jericho, Rahab says, here's the deal. I'll hide you too so you can get back out and go back to your camp and tell them what you've seen here. Just remember me when you come in and take over the city. I want to be spared. And it's more than just saving her skin, though. <laughs> Joshua 2 tells us, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign so that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She has professed faith in God, so Hebrews 11.31 tells us. And like Ruth is a foreigner, so Boaz's mother was a foreigner, and like Ruth was redeemed in Israel, so was Rahab. Interesting that Jesus' lineage contains three, not only women, but foreign women, which in Jewish terms is the most unlikely candidates to have any redeeming descendants of renown. But because they're in the line of David and they're in the line of Jesus, they're of renown. Speaking of the line of David, we come back to the end of the roof. We come back to point out, to see that the author has been leading up to a point to make. And that is Obed is the grandfather of David. He tells us Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. We see why the author has been writing. Because up to this far, you've read a book about two widows and a righteous Israelite redeeming them. And you might have been led to shrug your shoulders and say, neat moral story. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? And for the Jewish writer, he ends on David and saying, this is our great king. I've been talking about the ancestors of our great king. 
And for the Holy Spirit, we know it means much more. We know that it means the greater King David. It means Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. David brought rest and redemption to his people Israel. Jesus brings rest and redemption to the greater Israel, the people of God. I want to take you over to 2 Samuel 7. We're going to read 17 verses. verses. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't dissect and expand them as much as I have here in Ruth. But I want us to hear in entirety the importance of David for the entire Bible and not just for his own time. 2 Samuel 7, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now when the king, that is David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest. Sound familiar? That's what Naomi <coughs> found in Obed. That's what Ruth found in Boaz. From all his surrounding armies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do that is all on your heart, for the Lord is with you. So here's the thing. David's finally done running from Saul. He's sitting in his palace and he's thinking, God's been really good to me. He is a giving God. He's given me the kingdom. He's given me rest from Saul. But here he's been in a tent and I'm in a palace. So David says to Nathan the prophet, I want to build God a house. Why am I in a house and he's in a tent? He's the one who's done all this for me. So Nathan says, I trust your heart. Go ahead and do what fancies you. Verse 4, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says to the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God's kind of saying to Nathan, where did this come from? Uh, I don't recall ever since coming out of Egypt or calling Israel out of Egypt and, and having them build my tents saying, where's my house at? <laughs> How come you guys didn't just build me a tent? Rather, listen to what God tells Nathan to say to David. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. Don't you like that? Do you see that God is a giving God? 
God says, I don't need a house, but I'm building you a great house, David. I'm building you a great dynasty. I'm bringing a descendant from your family who will be my son, and I will be his father. It will be a kingdom and a throne that is established forever. Your name, David, will be renowned forever. There's a reason why the next part of that scripture, David gives a long thing of praise. We come to the end of Ruth, and it leaves the main characters. We come to the end of Ruth, and it doesn't end on Elimelech, who left Israel and died. It doesn't end on Naomi, though she ended up finding redemption. It doesn't end on Ruth, though she ended up married. It doesn't end on Boaz, the kinsman redeemer who redeemed Ruth. It doesn't end on Obed, who redeemed Naomi. It ends on David, who redeems Israel, just as Jesus redeems the entire people of God. And what the author is doing for you and for me, we're part of a bigger picture. We're part of a kingdom where our actions and what God does for us here all matter. You see, I wonder if some of you say this is just woodland. And you, say, and you like it that way because what you mean by that is, thank God it's not Portland or Seattle or L.A. or New York. And so by that, you diminish the importance of woodland, you diminish the cultural impact of anyone's actions here because it's, it's just woodland. I'm sure for Boaz, for Ruth, for Naomi, it's just Bethlehem. It's just for two, two lowly widows redeemed, they found their small town joy and redemption in Obed. And the author peels back the veil of history and says, do you see the connection? Do you see how God works in the small and the lowly? Do you see how God showed up to another lowly town called Nazareth and opened up the womb of not just a barren widow, but a virgin girl? And God gave the greatest gift, just how Obed was not just for Ruth's redemption, but for Naomi and Jesus, and not just for Joseph and Mary, but for the whole world. Here's the encouragement. You and I, were just Christians in Woodland. But since we're Christians, Romans 8, Galatians 3 and 4 calls us sons of God. And we share in the fame and the renown of Jesus because he is glorious. And so what we do here matters. It has implications for eternity. Your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, his eternity could change. His trajectory could, by God's grace, go heavenward if you would take a hint from Boaz and become used by God to lead that person to Jesus. Your son, your granddaughter, your daughter, your grandson, could all, by your godly influence and his Holy Spirit, become a legacy lever of faith. Literally anywhere, at any time, in any heart, for any reason, by God's grace, a person could be put into the tapestry and the legacy of faith in God's kingdom for his glory and his good by his grace. Because God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My point is, is it doesn't matter where you are at. Woodland or Washington, D.C., we're talking about people in eternity in here. One person in Woodland can do even more than one person in any big city. God showed up in the flesh to witness in the small, stupid, dinky villages of Galilee to bring redemption to the entire world. And so since it matters, what are you doing? Since we're in Woodland, just as Boaz and Naomi were in Bethlehem, 
Who are you in the legacy and the genealogy of faith? I tell you one thing, I pray very often in my private prayers, I'm not thinking about Woodland, where I'm at, or what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm praying for a legacy. And I say, dear Lord, let Calvin and let all my family members, both present and future, by your grace be yours. Servants of you. Legacy leavers of faith, not for their own glory, but for your glory and the glory of man, the good of mankind. I don't think about who they'll be vocationally. I don't think about where they'll be geographically. Don't hear me wrong. There is something to be said for effective ministry, taking into consideration population, cities, cultural centers. But there's also something to be said that God uses anyone, anywhere, for the building of his kingdom. Boaz, after redeeming Ruth, finally took her as a bride, and just as Jesus, after he redeems us, takes us as his bride. And God opened up the womb of Ruth to bear a son named Obed, or servant, just as God opened up the womb of Mary to bear her a son named Jesus, the suffering servant. The woman tell Naomi that Obed will be a redeemer and renowned in Israel, just as angels tell Joseph and Mary and the shepherds that Jesus is a redeemer and will be renowned in the world. These women tell Naomi that Ruth was a worthy daughter-in-law to have this Redeemer, just as Mary is a humble servant who had our Redeemer. And Naomi took Obed and was his nurse, though she was not his mother, just as Jesus is raised by Joseph and Mary, though he be the child of God. And Obed was the grandfather of David, a greater Redeemer in Israel, just as Jesus is the greater David, the Redeemer of the world. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, I wonder if some of us was happy to relocate to Woodland because we want to get out of the world. But because you're such a humorous God, it seems you choose the lowly and the remote to do your glorious and good work. That doesn't diminish what Paul has done in the many cities of the ancient world spreading your, your name. But it does show us as we read book, books like Ruth where we think about Jesus born in Bethlehem and from Nazareth that what we do here matters. And Father, we heard that you have planned for people the boundaries and the allotments of their time on earth. That means you have missions for us. That means that there are neighbors that need desperately to hear hope that is found in Jesus. And Father, you've given us that light, and you've given us the task to go and make disciples. And that just doesn't mean to evangelize and leave them where they're at, but to continue to work with them, to continue to disciple them. Father, it's a daunting task. We fear a lot of things, like rejection, the unknown. But we want to be like your son Jesus, who did face rejection and did face the unknown. But you did it anyways, because the Father told him to. Would you give us that sort of obedience? And would you give us that sort of peace that Jesus has? Everything is in your hands, Father. We just want to be your tools for your work. Father, a lot of us are thinking about sons and daughters. We pray that you would bring an extra amount of peace on us right now. 
to know that you are pursuing them. We thank you that you are. We pray all these things in your good and glorious name. Amen.